You can support this podcast on patreon.com forward slash firstpawmedia. Here's to the adventure-seeking dog mushers out there. The hundreds of you who stand on the runners dreaming and thinking about the northern lights. Of course, there is something else you can do if you've got something to say. Start a podcast with First Paw Media and harness your creative side. Maybe even earn enough money. Enough money to tell yourself, hey, I'm not just a dog musher. I'm a rover. I'm a wanderer. I'm a voyager. I'm an explorer. Visit firstpaw.media. Mush on over today. Radio Free Palmer 89.5 KVRF presents Mushing Radio, hosted by Robert Forto. Mushing Radio is about dog-powered sports, living in the Great White North, and mushing. Visit our website at mushingradio.com. Here is your host, Robert Forto. Hey, Mushing Radio listeners, we mentioned this earlier in our Iditarod coverage, but we set up a way to take questions from our listeners. Please leave a voicemail at 303-578-9881 or send a voice memo to firstpawmedia at gmail.com. Leave your name and where you are calling from, and please, if you want to use it, Keep your questions to under 30 seconds. That's it. The number again is 303-578-9881. And the voice memo is firstpawmedia at gmail.com. We can't wait to hear from you. Hello and welcome everybody. This is Robert and I am joined tonight by my co-host, Michelle and Tony. And we are doing our continued Iditarod 2023 coverage. And just like the title of this episode says, the race is on. I'm looking forward to analyzing that tonight. But before we do, I want to say a thank you to our newest Patreon member, Heather, who is now a $20 lead dog sponsor. Thank you very much for your patronage. And let's jump right into this. But first... Michelle, how's it going tonight? Well, I think that uh, I just have to let everybody know it was a beautiful day. And I'm on my fourth job of the day today. <laughs> I, spent, I spent the morning at one job, the afternoon doing dog training, a little bit of painting for one of the rooms we're remodeling. And now I'm knee deep into the podcast. Uh, you're wearing many a hats for sure. And Tony, how's it going in your neck of the woods? Going pretty well. It's getting a little overcast here in Kenai, but still have a little bit of sunshine as the sun sets. Uh, it's, I'm, I'm loving the weather. I'm hoping it sticks around and I'm hoping those clouds don't mean our spring snow is on the way. Yep. You predicted it, Tony. Uh, there's usually uh, one of those big dumpings sometime around mid-month. So, yeah, we're definitely uh, due for a a late winter storm for sure. All is well here on the home front on my side. So let's jump into our standings or at least our trail report. Currently in first place in White Mountain. And remember, everybody has to take a mandatory eight-hour rest in White Mountain. Then we have Richie, Pete, Matt, Kelly, Jesse, Matthew, Eddie, Hunter, and Mila in the top 10. 
And then rounding up the back of the Packers, we have Eric Kelly, Jed Stevenson, Jason Mackey, Bailey Vitello, Bridget Watkins, Joanna, and Gerhardt. So not a lot has changed since last night on both sides. We still have, it looks like everybody's sort of in their place. So let's jump into this, Tony. Uh, as I said, the race is on. We will probably have a winner sometime tomorrow. We talked last night about sometime around three, four, five-ish. Has that changed a little bit now that you've watched some insider videos and uh, seen the interwebs on social media about what other people are predicting, or or is it about the same time as it was last night? Oh, no. I think Aaron Burmeister beats out Danny Stevie for his uh, prediction because Ryan came into the checkpoint uh, at about 4.12 this evening. He has an eight-hour rest, which means he will leave out of White Mountain at 12.12 a.m. Tuesday morning, and it's average about a 10-hour run from White Mountain into Nome. Um, last year, Ryan ran this section during that crazy aftermath of the storm, or in the middle of the storm, rather, um, and it took him about 9 hours and 45 minutes. So we're looking probably right around 10, 30, 11 o'clock in the morning, which puts it right in the middle of Aaron Burmeister's prediction of somewhere between 10 a.m. and noon. Yeah, that's definitely a little bit different than, uh, than what we predicted yesterday. So with Ryan leaving at about... Um, about midnight, and as you mentioned, it's a 70-mile run, and, and I've, I've done those 70-mile runs many a times uh, nonstop. He will stop probably very briefly there in safety and then take off on his way to Nome. So right around breakfast time, as Michelle wrote in her uh, notes to us here, that's pretty exciting. Now, last night we talked about records being broken. If he does arrive right around that 10, 10.30 mark, Will that break any records that you're aware of? I have not done the math, so I can't really comment on that. I know that he's on pace to at least break John Baker's record. Um, I don't know if he's challenging Mitch Stevie's fastest time record or not. And what about, uh, of course, everybody in Iditarod land is, is rooting for Ryan, and we're going to talk about uh, this Alaska native uh, spin in just a little while. But what about Richie and Pete? Those are, are sort of the chase pack there. What's going on with those two? I wish I knew. We haven't really gotten a whole lot of information out of the runs today. Insider's been very, very quiet. I think uh, the little bit of snow that's falling in that section of the Iditarod Trail has made it difficult for them to get where they're supposed to be. Bruce Lee is in White Mountain. I do believe that Greg Heister is supposed to be in Nome getting set up for the finish tomorrow. Um, but we have not seen a lot of interviews from the trail. So we don't know why Pete Kaiser chose to spend six hours in Elam. He started about a half an hour behind Ryan this morning and out of Koyuk. And uh, basically, Ryan now has a five and a half hour lead on Pete Kaiser. Richie Deal actually caught up with Pete in the checkpoint of Elam 
And then Richie uh, spent about two hours, and he actually left a few minutes before Pete to head back down the trail to catch Ryan, or at least chase Ryan. Um, Pete is now back in the lead looking at the GPS tracker, um, and they're about an hour to an hour and a half away from White Mountain, where they will then begin their mandatory eight. So it... I hate to to say that the race might already be over because we all know that 77 miles to Nome is treacherous, especially when you get towards safety and they have to go through what's called the blowhole, which is just basically crazy wind coming at you. If there's any little bit of wind elsewhere on this section of trail, it's going to be massive in the blowhole, and that has taken down many teams. If you followed the race in 2014, you know that a big windstorm can really cause havoc um, and the leader won't be the leader very long. So it's not over, but there's a big time gap. They've got a five and a half hour gap-ish, if I've done my math correctly, um, before Pete will be able to chase him down if he makes it into White Mountain within that time frame that I gave. And that could that could be a little too much for him to chase Ryan down. And I, we will talk more about this as we do the analytical. But that's that's where our chase pack is. They're they're quite a bit behind Ryan at this point. Any any sort of catch up that they had last night is completely gone. So let's talk a little bit about the analytics. And there's been a lot of speculation and a lot of really good back and forth in the last 24 hours about what people can expect, especially from, you know, Iditarod veterans and insiders, if you will, uh, those in the know, if you will. What has been the talk over the last uh, 24 hours or so about how it's sort of shaping up? Um, It's really kind of exciting. A lot of talk was about what happened to Nick Petit and Jesse Holmes who were expected to be big challengers this year, considering that so many of the former champions were not in this race and a lot of mushers chose to sit out this year for one reason or another, a lot of retirements and whatnot. Um, But neither Jesse or Nick uh, did well in that second third. Um, Jesse Holmes has come running back. He's, in the mix for a top 10 finish. He's sitting currently in Elam uh, in sixth place. Uh, But Nick Petit, he has some issues going on. According to his kennel partner, uh, she posted on social media yesterday that he's been running with a bad back this whole time. And she felt that that could be one of the reasons why he's holding back. But he told Insider, I believe in Unilaclete yesterday that it was due to his concern about how his dogs were doing. They weren't eating like he thought they should. He said they looked a little skinny. And so he decided to make that um, very difficult decision to stop racing and just have an adventure. Um, He figures that he'll pick off quite a few teams as they are starting to perk up here on the coast. Um, And we are seeing him kind of jump back into the mix, but that's been one of the big stories is where are Jesse and where are where is Nick? Um, but then you have the mushers like Matt Hall and Kelly Maxner and Matt Baylor, who are both now vying for a top five finish. 
Uh, Matt's currently fourth, Kelly fifth, and, and Matthew Failer seventh, right in there with Jesse Holmes. He's been battling with Jesse for most of the last 24 hours. Kelly Maxner, not surprising with Dallas Stevie's dogs, is just picking off teams one right after the other in this last leg, which we often see from that team out of that kennel. So um, it's been exciting. It, it may not feel exciting because of that big gap between first and second, but everywhere else it's such an unknown, and we can't forget about those two rookies who are not only vying for rookie of the year, but they're both vying for a top 10 finish and they're still in it. They've been right in the mix with Matt Hall, who is a Yukon quest champion with Kelly Maxner, who's running an Iditarod champions dog team, uh, Jesse Holmes, who wins just about any mid distance race that he comes across unless he's running against Nick Petit and, and Matt Saylor's a Cusco champion. So it's a very exciting, exciting race whether or not we're talking first yeah it it definitely is exciting and of course uh, i i love following the the middle to the back of the packers and and when you're only dealing with 30 odd mushers on the trail uh the middle of the pack is not very far down i mean if you're talking uh, the, those top 10 finishers the middle of the pack is right after that and I see a lot of interesting stories developing over there, especially now that uh, it looks like, unless something really happens, now it looks like Ryan is, go- is going to take it. But remember, uh, for folks that may be new to Iditarod, that uh, races have been won and lost right around safety. It's not a guarantee just because he has that five-hour lead that... Um, you know, something cannot develop, whether it be weather or the dog shutting down or, you know, gear breaking or whatever. It's exciting all the way to the finish. So don't count out that five hour uh, split just so yet. So what about in the back of the pack? Not a lot of has changed over the last few days. Those same uh, four or five guys and girls have sort of been there together. Has there, has there been any reports or stories out of those guys, because we we tend to focus on those guys a lot on our coverage, but we haven't really dove deep into anything what's happened except for, for our talk about uh, Greg Vitello several days ago. Well, to, to be fair, there's not a lot coming out of the teams, either on their social media or even in other media. I don't know if it's because the race uh, is gearing up to have that spectacular finish on the Reddingtons. Um, even Insider has not really followed through, in my opinion, with their promise of more coverage of the back of the pack. It's more of the same that we've been getting over the years. And I know that that causes friction when any of us say anything that seems even negative about insider but those are stories that people want to tell yes i understand it is a race greg i get that i have never once argued that it's not a race but those are the human interest stories and you know what every freaking sport has them so you might as well just jump into it this is bigger than just who's going to win in gnome who's going to get the money whatever um so I'm getting on my soapbox here. I'm a little cranky. I haven't slept. I listened to Dallas TV give a crap ton of really good information on Insider last night. It was actually worth the price of Insider to listen to he and Bruce Lee 
talk for over an hour about what we were seeing last night. Um, but there's not a lot, and I don't know why there's not a lot. Everyone seems very focused on if, if we're talking about rookies, which is normally the back of the pack is full of a lot of rookies, they're focused on the two that are in the top 10, and we're not really getting those stories. But they've seen that there's two groups. There's the, the one with Bridget and Joanna and Bailey Vitello, and then there's the true Red Lantern back of the pack of the three, Jason Mackey, Jed Stephenson, and Eric Kelly. And they seem to be taking turns. They're rotating. I don't know if that's due to what we were talking about yesterday with Jed's uh, dogs not wanting to lead. And maybe, you know, a little bit from both Jason and Eric is just trying to encourage his team along, um, making sure that that rookie makes it to Nome. Or if that's just how it's shaking out. Kelly, uh, Eric Kelly's been doing really well, but he's been in the back since almost day one. Um, and then Jason Mackey, we know that he's rebuilding his kettle. We know that this is a very emotional race as he's spreading his brother's ashes. And the plan was to spread his mother's ashes as well. But he's made comments saying he's not sure if he can let go of his mom just yet. Um, so that could be, you know, part of why Jason's back there. He's also rebuilding his kennel after selling out in 2018. He's down to seven dogs. So there's, there's a lot of factors I'm sure playing into Jason being back there. Um, but everything from his, uh, kennels, social media, which is run by his wife, Lisa, uh, says not to worry, he's going to finish. So, we really hope that that is the case. With seven dogs, he's almost to Unilaclete. Uh, he, he's got the team to do it, but it's, it's going to be, he's got to pace himself, and he knows that. Yeah, and, and you talked about those seven dogs. Remember, you have to finish with five dogs in harness, and he has uh, a little over 200 miles to go, which, which is a long way in a dog race, especially if you've been on the trail for mm -hmm. eight or nine days now. Uh, that, that really becomes your strategy. Tony, I know Michelle has a comment as well about uh, your, sure. your story with the, with the back of the Packers. But before she turns it over, you know, my opinion of that, and it's sort of been our mission all along, is to give those guys equal credit. And I think that that's very important. But I, I like to equate it to how people watch the Olympics. You know, people watch the Olympics just as much for the sports as they do the human interest stories. That's what makes the Olympics special, mm -hmm. at least in my eyes. And I watch just as much of that as I do, uh, you know, the sports coverage, because that's, that's what sells the Olympics. You know, everybody um, is a hundred percent on top of their game in the Olympics. You know, they are the consummate uh, amateur slash professional athletes, but it's those stories that, uh, that really make that special. That's my take on it. Michelle, what is yours? Well, I absolutely uh, agree. And I know that whenever we have done this coverage, whether it was you and I, or you and Alex, or now you and Tony, we've always given a shining light to the back of the Packers. And um, what I've got to say is I, I'm in a full agreement with Tony. 
yes, this is a race. Yes, everybody's focusing on the front runners. Of course they are. But until they get to White Mountain, it's not really a race like we were mentioning yesterday. Like Mitch says, it starts to heat up after Unicolite. It really is not anything that you can predict until after Unicolite. And I think that we are in a unique situation this year. And, and I know that we've got returning champions and I know that we've got um, multiple finishers in this race, but we don't have a rock star. And I think that what they are always looking for is that one musher or that two mushers that are those at that rock star level that bring in an exorbitant amount of fans that they think are going to help pay the bills. I tend to agree with that. Tony, what's your thought on that sort of rock star mentality? Um, yeah, I think we're seeing that uh, Eddie and Hunter are both getting a lot of good coverage um, from Insider and from the media. And I do agree with the analysts, both uh, amateur there on social media like Danny Seavey um, and even Greg Heister. They expect both Eddie and Hunter to be here for a while. Yes, they're running dogs out of someone else's kennel, but they're both retired mushers. Somebody's got to take over, just like Amanda Otto just kicked butt in the Yukon Quest 550 uh, last month with Jeff King's dogs. Somebody's got to take it over. You know, it's, it's Jeff's not going to be around forever. Aaron's not going to be around forever, though I hate saying that because I miss him in this race so much. I love his analysis that he's been doing on social media. I keep that up, Aaron. Big fan. Um you know, it's it's one of those things where I, I think Hunter taking on Ramey's team and taking it to the next level um, and Eddie the same way, you know, if this is their rookie run and they're doing this well in this type of competitive field that we didn't expect to be as competitive as it is, um, that says something about the programs that they're running, that they have been given – the opportunity to make it their own. They're not just running Aaron's schedule or Ramey's schedule. They're running their own schedule and they're doing really well. Um, so I, I do agree that they do need those rock stars to get behind the fans to get behind. Um, but I also agree that just because somebody's not as flashy, it doesn't mean they don't have a good story. It doesn't mean that they aren't taking care of their dogs just as well as the top guys, if not better. Um, it, it means that you just need to sit there with someone with a camera and get that story and share it. I don't really need as many interviews of Ryan Reddington saying the same thing from Caltech on. I really don't need the same analysis, Greg, from Caltech on where you're getting mad at everybody you ask because they're not following your narrative of Ryan Reddington is the second coming of... I don't know, Joe Reddington or, or whoever you, you think is the Iditarod God that needs the second coming. It, it, it's great, and it is the race, and that's what we need to focus on. I agree the first place is very important in a race, but you've got all of these stories that you year in and year out ignore, and you ignore that fans who have been with this sport longer than Insider 
have been asking for. That's we, where your problem we, is. We provide it right here yeah, on we, Mushing Radio. We do. Uh, uh, one <laughs> one other point about this, and, and uh, who cares if it's a soapbox on anybody's part, but uh, <laughs> one of the things that I really enjoy about the NFL and um, Al Michaels in particular, uh, mm-hmm. long time on ABC and uh, NBC and now on Amazon, is every... Every broadcast, he talks about the production meetings that they do before, you know, the big game, whether it's a Sunday night game or Thursday night game or Monday night game or whatever he's done over the years. And those production meetings are to develop that narrative or that story. But what's interesting about that is they develop that story based on the most current information. You know, of course, you're going to hear about Tom Brady and, you know, Peyton Manning yep. and, and, you know, those guys uh, on, on those broadcasts. That's why they're the marquee game. But it's the stories that they develop throughout that three-hour broadcast that uh, is what's capturing the fans. And I truly think that if if Insider wants to be viable, that's what they need to do because it's definitely a heck of a lot more than just those front runners. But, you know, Tony, one of the things that we always do on our closing show of our of our coverage is try to figure out what the story is of Iditarod. And we, we go around and whoever's hosting with us, they tell what they think is their big story of, of that mm-hmm. year's Iditarod. And my story, at least right now, would definitely be where we've seen the changing of the guard that we've talked about throughout this off season, uh, you know, cause like you said, the, the big names are not there. Of course, Pete Kaiser is up there. And of course we, we know a bunch of these names who are, are household names in terms of mushing, but especially if Ryan Reddington wins, I think that we fully cemented a changing of the guard. And I would like both of you guys to respond to that before we get into our next segment Michelle, go first. Do you think we've truly seen the changing of the guard uh, with this year's Iditarod? Um, that's an interesting way to put it. I don't necessarily, I don't necessarily think it's a changing of the guard. I think that this year's Iditarod has been an anomaly from day one. Um, we have a smaller field than we've ever seen. Um, we do not have the household names that people have come to know um e- even during the 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 time that mushing radio has been in existence the changing of the guard has really evolved over time and for a while there it was the same few names that were winning Iditarod as we all know and and I don't need to repeat them. We we have great respect for those mushing um, kennels and and those mushers and all of those dogs. Some of the dogs are in this race, as Tony mentioned, with different mushers mushing them, and I think that that needs to be taken into consideration. I don't exactly feel like it's a changing of the guard when. Dallas Seavey's dogs are in the top five. Dallas Seavey's dogs are in the top five because Dallas works damn hard to keep his dogs conditioned throughout the year. 
And yes, I am a fan of Dallas. And I send him clients all the time that want to run tours. And, and I'm like, I'm not a tour company. Go see Dallas. And I get feedback back. Oh, my God, he was awesome. Of course he was. I know he was. But it, it's it's to me, I don't feel it's a changing of the guard. The dogs are there. Tony, what's your thought? I mean, that's a good point. It, it definitely is. I think where the change is, is we don't need, I hate saying that because my, I, I was feeling very nostalgic yesterday watching Aaron and uh, Dallas uh, doing their little live feed or whatever it was in Unicleat. But um, it, yes, the dogs are there, but the names aren't there and the media doesn't care about the dogs. I'm sorry, they don't. KTUU could not care less about the dogs. If they cared about the dogs, they'd feature them more on their stuff. And KTUU, for those that don't live in South Central Alaska, that is the media partner here in Alaska with the Iditarod. They're not the insider, but they're the ones that show it to the masses of Alaska. And, um, you know, they're like, they're so caught up on the names of Stevie, King, Mackie. I mean, they're obsessed with Jason Mackie just because of his last name um, and putting way too much pressure on a kennel that's coming back from less than ground zero. Um, so in that way, I think it's a changing of the guard as far as familiar names, but Michelle makes a very good point that there are a lot of dogs, legacy dogs, in this race, and we're seeing it all in the top 10. We're seeing it further back um, as Lance Mackey's dogs are also in this race with several different mushers. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, I mean, Reddington's been there forever. It just changes. The first name changes. The last name doesn't change. Um, and, again, same thing with Mackey. And the media will just hang on to that name forever. But I'm excited, even with Hunter and and Eddie running other people's dogs. Eddie and Hunter have been running most of these dogs since they started as puppies. So it's not like they weren't involved. It's not the same thing as Kelly, a Kelly Maxner coming in and leasing a dog team where everybody else did most of the work and he's coming in training them as he can and then running the team and, and strategizing. Um, so I, I, I'm hopeful for this. I'm actually really impressed with how this race has turned out this year. Uh, it, it's, it is a sad uh, state of affairs when the, the major media uh, outlet does not pay any attention to the dogs because believe me, uh, the mushers do. Uh, most mushers can tick off names and bloodlines for every every dog that's in a race. And right before we went on air, I got a message from Brenda Mackey, and Brenda is Jason's <laughs> and and the late Lance's uh, niece. Yeah. And she says one of the dogs in in Ryan's kennel is named Pan, and she says Pan's grandson very likely will become an Iditarod champion if all goes well for the rest of the race, for the rest of Ryan's race. And she's talking about Bolt. Now, Bolt happens to have a connection to us because we have a dog named Ruby, who is Bolt's brother. And most of Bolt's our... sister. Bolt's sister. Bolt is a male. <laughs> Ruby is, is the female. And Ruby happens to be the foundation of our kennel, 
most of our crews, we talked about our crews the other night, all of our rock and roller crew, as well as our reggae crew, are uh, built from Ruby and, and her breeding with, I believe, Pan, if, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, nope, excuse me, Fender is that dog. But anyway, we can get really in the weeds there. But believe me, I say that because the mushers care about the dogs and where they come from, for sure. So let's switch gears a little bit. Robert, not only do the mushers care about the dogs, the fans care about the dogs, but also those putting a negative spin on this race care about the dogs. They do. And we could definitely go down that rabbit hole as well. And it's tough. I will I will 100% admit it. I'm sure Tony and both Michelle will admit it as well. It is very difficult to talk about, uh, I don't know how many dogs, 500 or so odd dogs that are in this race this year. Uh, every kennel out there has a sponsor of the dog program, and I'm sure we could build an entire podcast around Iditarod dogs and tell stories every night about different dogs that are in, in the race. And that could be a heck of a good podcast. It might be a direction we should go because nobody is doing that for sure. Uh, they're definitely talking yeah, about yeah, go ahead. <laughs> What's that? I, I did a pod. I, I know they're a com I know they're kind of a competitor this time of year, but I did a pod. They are doing I th I think the uh, PBS, the the public uh, news, they do such a great job when they follow I did a rod. They're actually out on the trail. Um, but they feature a dog a night and I think that's the best part of their show. That's the best part of their coverage on their website. Um, is the dog of the day. And that you can only get by being able to have access to those mushers and know which dogs are on their team ahead of time to feature those dogs. I like it. Maybe we'll do something like that next year. Maybe we'll get um, some inside scoop uh, before the race from you know a handful of mushers and we will do some type of dog of the day or whatever, because we spend so much, <laughs> so much time and effort on our musher of the day, which we're going to get into. But Michelle, the next segment, you want to talk briefly about the Alaskan native mushers. You mentioned that last night and it looks like Ryan, Richie and Pete are sticking it out. looks like we're definitely going to have that uh, Alaskan native spin, aren't we? We absolutely are. And I got to tell you guys, I am a paralegal by trade and I did my due diligence today researching all the <laughs> nooks and crannies I could about how many Alaskan natives have ran Iditarod, what's going on in White Mountain. I was trying to bring in some historical spins for everybody. And I got to tell you, what I found was not only lacking, it was garbage. And so I'm pretty disappointed in the fact that we don't have a good accounting of the number of Alaskan natives that have actually finished Iditarod over the past 51 years. We don't have a lot of good historical information that we can gather about these checkpoints. And I say good historical information because we all know that Wikipedia is not shepherdized information which means it's not good. I agree with you. Uh, most of the reporting comes from a very old school musher who's passed on many, many years ago. It's Don Bowers's trail notes. And they use that every single day in their reporting 
Uh, we've got to have better information than something out of the 70s or 80s. Whenever Don published that, I mean, that, that guy's been gone for 20 odd years, but that's what they're reporting, isn't it, Tony? It is what's on their website. And, um, you know, there, there are other sources that can be used. Rod Perry, um, who ran in the first Iditarod, he's a great resource. Basically, and, and that's kind of the frustrating thing is a lot of that history is with those trailblazers who we are starting to lose. Um, you know, it's, it is one of those things, if you want to buy some books, uh, that's the best way to find that information. I had the same kind of trouble, and then I life got in the way. I was blogging. I was trying to do a series on my blog where I featured the Iditarod champion, each Iditarod champion that we've had, there's like 24 names out of 50, 50, uh, this year is the 50th year, um, and 50 runnings was last year. This is the 51st running. Um, there's only 24 champions. I should be able to knock it out of the park, but it was very hard to find um, information outside of a couple of books. Right, um, that was my issue. On, yeah, which which trying to get my hands on was kind of difficult down here on the Kenai. Um, I did end up with it, and that reminds me, I never returned it to the library. So <laughs> I'm, I, I hope they don't have any like major fees or dues coming my way. Um, but <laughs> so I, I should probably deal with that tomorrow. Um, but yeah, it's, it's difficult. I, I used, uh, Rod Perry's Iditarod Trailbreakers Volume 2, which is about the Iditarod race. And I'm using, uh, the Iditarod, the first 10 years, fantastic book, really expensive. I've been on the fence about getting it. I totally want to buy it, but none of the bookstores down here carry it. And they didn't have it at the Iditarod merchandise table in Anchorage at the lakefront. So, I couldn't even get it there. Um, but it's a fantastic book. I guess I'll have to get it on Amazon. I was going to try and do local, guys, but you don't have it. So I'm stuck going with Amazon. Well, I, I, uh, my only uh, add to the to the native musher story, I know that Jeff King was reporting on it last night uh, about the same time that we were on the air. So he definitely noticed it. I know that Alaska Public Media, as you mentioned, that does the Iditapod mm -hmm. podcast, they were talking about it. And we mentioned it very briefly last night uh, that uh, it, it definitely is a story of this race. And as you said, Tony, on last night's coverage, I believe, so many times it's, it's won by, uh, you know, the white guy that lives on the road system, white guy or... or, or many years now, white gal that pretty much lived on the road system. And that's, that's not going to necessarily be the case, especially if something uh, happens with Ryan. Yeah. He lives on the road system right down the, the road here at the Reddington compound, if you will. But Richie and Pete, uh, they live about as far off of the road system as you can get. And uh, those guys are proving that uh, a mushing is still alive and well especially in the larger communities of Alaska, in particular, the Bethel community and uh, up near uh, uh, Kotzebue and those type areas, there's still mushing going on for sure. So unfortunately, there's not a lot to report there. But the next story we want to mention earlier well, today... Well, I want to say one more thing. If somebody yeah. out there has the information 
and they can point us in the right direction other than these books, that would be great. Yeah, if you have insider information, let us know so we can definitely talk about it. But uh, this afternoon, uh, I posted a tweet and a Facebook post about how folks can text us questions uh, on uh, about Iditarod. And we put up our phone number 206-752-3647 or 752-DOGS. And we got a couple of responses, and we're going to answer them very briefly. So we're running a little bit long on time. But what do you have for us, Michelle? Who who uh, asked us a question? Well, they didn't give their names, so they you know they they kept it short and sweet. The first one is a comment. Can't wait for the Iditarod podcast. Oh, nice. And then uh, the second one is a question that you went over from Alice from Eugene, Oregon, where she talked about the trackers being uh, different from what she usually sees on the other races. Um, and why doesn't the Iditarod tracker uh, include in its leaderboard the run rest tab? And I believe that you tried to answer that already. Nope, we were doing that okay. off air. So let's talk uh, briefly about that and hopefully at least uh, steer Alice in the right direction. So it's my understanding that most of the races up here in Alaska use a a company called Track Leaders. And Track Leaders provides the, the little trackers, the little spot devices that you see on the front of all the dog sleds are often uh, wrapped up in a dog booty and right there on the front. And of course that sends out the signal to the GPS and that's what you're following along on the, the GPS tracker, which is also populating the chart, the sort of uh, Excel spreadsheet looking thing on Iditarod.com, which, you know, lists all the, the, uh, the standings there. But she's asking in particular, why is there not a column for the run rest schedule? And I think it's twofold. And my part of this is, is I believe that the, they do not use track leaders. Actually, the, the, the screenshot that she shows says trackleaders.com at the top. And I see a rest schedule and a run schedule, Robert. If you would take a look at that photograph real quick that I scrolled in, because I, I don't have my glasses on, so I had to scroll in to see that. But if you see there, it does say trackleaders.com at the top. And I see two columns. One says rest and one says run. I don't know if it's different in other races that Alice is tracking, but it appears to me that there is those columns there, but they might not be making any sense to Alice. Well, uh, from a musher's perspective, that's I'll, not actually the Iditarod GPS because I'm looking at the GPS right now. Yeah, I think that's from the. Um, that's, and there's there's not a run rest. That's from okay. that's from track leaders. There's. They don't have track leaders listed anywhere on the GPS and yeah. I did I, I believe okay. that's a that's no. a screenshot from uh, from a different race. But correct. From, you guys are both correct. From my musher's perspective, uh, that would be a cool stat to have. Uh, so we know that uh, you know Matt's running six hours and resting four on a consistent basis or whatever, because you can really understand strategy there. But my understanding is they do not use track leaders for their GPS, so they do not have that stat. But Tony, you have a little bit more information in that you can figure this out if you are good at math by understanding the analytics by having access to the tracker, which is a part of uh, a different paywall. Is that right? What do you know about that? 
Yeah, so um, I, I do need to kind of step back what I said. There, there is a logo for track leaders on the Iditarod GPS map. So they are using, I believe, their infrastructure, but they do not use the track leader map or not maps, but their their little website page, whatever you want to call it. But if you go up, um, if you're looking at your insider GPS map, there are tabs. It says mushers, favorites, checkpoints, analytics. Click on the analytics, and it's called the analytics view. Um, and then it will say add a musher. And you can add as many mushers to it as you want, or you can look at it one at a time. You hit the name, click add. And then it's just a quick little, the speed is what you're looking at to figure out the run rest. Um, the speed is the little lime green line. Um, and you can see when it drops and it flatlines right at the bottom of the graph, that's when they're resting. And so you just look at the time, the date and the time from when that first flatlines all the way to when the flatline ends. And that's how you can decipher how long they've rested. It's not the most user-friendly. I hate using it myself, um, but that's how they do it. They also do not archive this stuff to where we can readily get it afterwards. So once it's done, it's done. Um, so that's always been kind of the biggest argument for our stats fans, where they would love to go back and see historically what a, a race looks like for a particular musher and not just necessarily what that Excel spreadsheet that actually has nothing to do with the GPS tracker that's strictly done by the call-ins to the comms from the checkpoints and giving the check-in and check-out times. Uh, so it's, it's a little frustrating. I agree, the other races, they allow you to have more information, including the Yukon Quest. But for whatever reason, Iditarod and Iditarod Insider want to control that a little bit more than other races. Uh, my my uh, last statement to that is that um, there is a really good resource on Facebook, and I'm not sure if she's doing it right now. What is her name? Melinda Shore, I believe, who is deep into analytics and stats. I know she's big time on the quest. Am I remembering the name right, Tony? You have the name right, and her page was Mushing Tech, but she went off the grid last year. Okay. Um, halfway through the race. I've not seen that this year. That doesn't necessarily mean much um, because I apparently offended her like years ago, so I got blocked from all of that. So, <laughs> okay. Um, but, but my understanding is she did not do any of the races this year. Okay. All right. But she was an excellent source for this type of stat information. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and one thing about that strategy that I mentioned is just about all of these mushers start the race with a very particular strategy where they'll say, hey, I'm going to run six hours and rest four or whatever that is. Uh, I'm going to run 10 hours and rest six or whatever their strategy is. And almost always, unless something happens in their race, they will follow that strategy pretty close to the T based on what's happening on the trail. And, and that's why people are getting passed. And that's why folks are taking particular 24-hour checkpoints and all that. So if you can understand the run race schedule uh, by following these stats, you can almost understand the strategy of a musher. And it, it's just like in any other sport, 
uh, you just can't throw your strategy out the out the window at the last minute because something is going your way or whatever, because you have to race the way you train. And if you're training to run those six hours on, four hours off or whatever, you just can't all of a sudden run 10 hours on and six hours off because that's that's not detrimental to your dog team. Uh, last question on this um, segment, Tony, what does it cost? for the GPS and is it um, a one-time fee or is it part of an insider or what? Uh, so they no longer allow you to just purchase a pass for the GPS. Um, it is all tied up with insider. It always has been an insider thing, but they used to have tiers where you could just do the GPS, just do the video or do the whole package. It's now just the whole package GPS and video, they do have a 48-hour pass that is only my understanding from those that bought it thinking they were getting everything. It's only the live feed um, and the videos, so be mindful of that. But if you wanted to subscribe to Insider uh, to get the GPS, you do have to do the ultimate package, and that, I believe, runs $34.99. I think I spent $35.00. It might now be $39.99. I think they did say they were bumping it up to $40. Um, so I personally cannot watch Iditarod without it. I know you and Michelle follow Iditarod without it and, and do a great job with it. Um, though I think you guys do like to have a friend or two that has it. Um, but I can't. I, I started when they first started Insider, and Greg Heister knows he owns me. Um, there was one year that I didn't. It was 2011, and I won't say who let me log in on theirs because that'll get them in trouble. But he told me, he's like, you cannot be the obsessive fan that you are and not have Insider. And it was just out of my budget at that year. So they made sure that, that I had access. I felt very special and, and very well cared for. They were a musher. Again, I'm not naming it. They are not a champion. So don't even think that it's one of the two that I normally mention. But, um, but yeah, it was, it's, it, for me, it's well worth it for my obsession. I, I budget for it every year. Well, it's only forty dollars, and I, I don't have a reason oh, why I've never <laughs> I've never done it. Uh, I I probably should now that we do this podcast uh, pretty religiously. But yeah, if I have if I have somebody on our quote unquote staff, our our, our co host that does it, and they can provide that analysis, I let them you know uh, drive their wheelhouse, if you will. That's that's Tony's passion and her obsession so i, I definitely <laughs> let let her do that and i'm trying to do other and stuff speaking so, of it it's not, not not to interrupt but as we're talking about this i just watched pete kaiser come into white mountain and i'm watching richie deal come into white mountain right now as we're talking i've got it muted in the background on my computer richie deals coming in it looks either foggy or snowy i know that they were saying that snow was in the forecast um, so very exciting. Always. I, I, I do. I, I totally admit it guys. While I'm podcasting, I have the live feed up and if I sound distracted, chances are something's happening on the live stream. Well, as long as you're not sharing your Netflix password with folks, I, I think you're going to be okay <laughs> because I, I understand. No that that... insider 
gets mad at you. <laughs> we only get to have two logins, and they threaten, man. They threaten. I know. I'm gonna and, get kicked out one of these days. I, I know, and that's that's. It seems that Netflix has taken that same stance. So let's jump over. Right. We have we have two more segments to go. We are definitely running long, and I'm sure I have to bump up to the next package tonight before we can even load this up. But we are going to talk about our musher of the night. Michelle is going to tell us a little bit about Jason Mackey. We've gotten to know Jason and Lisa over the years, and uh, I think that they're really cool people, and I'm looking forward to hearing what you guys have to say. What can you tell us about Jason, Michelle? Well, according to Jason's bio, what he shared with uh, Iditarod is that he's been running sled dogs for 45 years. He's ran Iditarod seven times and all of the other races that everybody has been discussing here on this show. And he also ran four junior Iditarods. He sold his kennel at two and a half years ago or two and a half years later, he started the kennel over with a whole new group, as Tony and you have mentioned throughout our coverage this year. He is literally starting from the ground up, training new dogs, and how to handle this type of race. At the same time, he's putting to rest his brother and his mother. And so for that, I want to give kudos to Jason and his kennel motto, Mac is back. Oh, I like that. I like that motto for sure. So you got a chance to talk to Lisa, Tony. What did she have to say? Sure. So just like I've asked everybody uh, for our feature musher, I asked the first question, what is one thing that you would like our listeners to know about who Jason is and what makes him tick? And she says, Jason is very kind, loving is a very kind and loving personality. He loves the fact that he is a family man and married for 32 years with two great sons. What makes him tick? His passion for running dogs and the bond he shares with them. His absence from the sport has really put a fire in him. Uh, and then I asked a different question um, of. Lisa than I have for others. And I said, what is one accomplishment in mushing or out of mushing that Jason is most proud of? And she said for accomplishment, he was able to take a step back one uh, and get his life on track for the past five years and work extremely hard as a lead boss on the North Slope where his crew respects him tremendously. This year was not about the placement in the race. It was to get a young team to Nome with a positive experience and to spread his mother, Kathy Smith, and his brother, Lance Mackey, under the arch in Nome as Lance's last run to Nome. Next year, Jason will be back to race and people should not count him out for being competitive because he is more focused and driven than he has ever been. This is just something he needed to do this year for closure and grieving the loss of his brother. I like it. Uh, concise and to the point. Uh, I have a couple of things to say before we move on from Jason. First off, uh, Mac is back. I'm looking right now at at their website, topnotchracingkennel.com. And whoever did that did a really good job. It's a very um, tight looking website. I really like uh, the way it's laid out. It's very clean, very up to date. So I think that that 
That is definitely cool. They pay a lot of attention to their sponsors on on that page. And it looks like Jason has quite a bit of support. He's got some big sponsors like uh, like his brother had, including Canada Goose, which is a big-time clothing company and several uh, decent-sized local sponsors as well. Uh, Michelle had mentioned that uh, he had been racing or, or mushing most of his life. I think he's very close in age to both Michelle and I, including running four junior Iditarods. I'm looking at his career summary on Iditarod.com. His rookie year was in 2004. He ran that race in 10 hour, or ten days, 18 hours, 58 minutes. Uh, he ran again in 18, scratched in 13, ran 14, 15, 16, and 17, with his best finish of nine days, six hours, 19 minutes, 23 seconds. And that was when he was in 21st place. Uh, Tony, what was the year that he helped his brother along? Was that 17 or is that 16? Uh, it was 17 because that was the year that they ran through uh, from Fairbanks and it was super cold and Lance could not feel his fingers. And so he said, hey, I, I can't do this uh, by myself. And Jason uh, sacrificed his race, if you will, uh, to, to mush on into Nome with yeah. his brother. And I remember talking about that a heck of a lot on our coverage that year and even helping his brother. Uh, even though that was the shorter Fairbanks route, uh, he still did it in nine days and six hours. That's pretty dang impressive, even though it's a shorter trail. If you're doing a race under nine days, uh, at least back then you were pretty competitive, weren't you? Yeah, that was the year that um, Mitch broke the speed record. And while it is somewhat shorter, it's not by that many miles. So they do count it as a regular or standard I did a rod trail. Um, and yeah, no, considering what the, the record pace was, Jason's and Lance's finish, that was, that was an impressive finish, uh, for them with everything that they were dealing with. Um, it was a very emotional, um, run. That was the year that Lance told the media he thought he was done because he, he just physically couldn't do it anymore. And it was, it was almost like his spirit was murdered right there in front of us on camera when he came to that realization and Jason came up said, Hey, I'm, I'm with you, brother. We're going to get you to Nome. And that broke Lance as well, because here his brother was basically ruining a really good shot at a top placement uh, in that year's Iditarod so that he could get Lance to Nome. So it, it definitely, I think if you weren't a fan of the Mackie clan before 2017, that one kind of sealed it for everybody. Right. And uh, I know that you're going to talk a little bit about that on our question about how you sort of switched gears. Actually, you talked about that last night, how you sort of switched gears from yep. uh, being, uh, uh, you know, a, a passe Mackie fan to becoming a Mackie fan just by watching that documentary. Uh, for our mushing fans, our, our, our podcast fans, uh, Jason is on the list to be on the show after Iditarod. I have several people lined up and he is in the queue <laughs> to be on. So I'm looking forward to having him on and, and talk about uh, his race and all that he's done and uh, how set aside an entire hour. Yep. How he's, how he's built up <laughs> his kennel from that for sure. So let's move on to our, I did a question last night's question was what was your favorite 
mushing movie slash documentary, and we told ours last night, I believe, uh, uh, I said Iron Will. Did you say Iron Will as well, Michelle? Of course I did. And uh, Tony had said that she watched Iron Will for the first time on a plane just a couple of years ago. But she mentioned the, like we just said, the Lance Mackey documentary Alone, uh, uh, The Great Alone, uh, that came out several years ago. But what were some other responses? What was the, what was the big hit out there in the movie world for, for Mushing? I was actually kind of surprised at how few responses we got for this one. And I think that just shows that not a lot of people realize that there are even mushing movies to watch out there. Um, Plus I'm sure everyone was just totally focused on the race between Ryan and Pete last night. It was pretty intense for a while. Um, But most of them said either the Lance Mackey documentary, uh, The Great Alone, or Iron Will. Uh, Snow Dogs got quite a few hits as well as Eight Below. But the one that I uh, hadn't even thought of, and now I feel so bad about it, there is a series on Netflix, and it's called Losers. And I believe it's the second episode in that series is about Allie Zirkel. And it really focuses on her 2016 run where she was attacked by the guy, the drunk on the snow machine, um, and it rehashes all of that, as well as, of course, coming in second place several times to either Dallas or Mitch CV. Um, and so I, I hate the title of it, but it does get your attention when you just read Losers. And it talks about all of these athletes. Um, and it is such a fantastic documentary on Allie. If you don't already love her, you will love her even more. Uh, if you watch it, definitely do. Don't let the title fool you. This is not ragging on Allie at all. This is taking command of that term, losers, turning it on its head and showing you just how badass she is. Yeah, and uh, one that I did not mention last night, uh, I was going to to say uh, it right after I talked about Iron Will, but one of the one of my favorite documentaries was called Icebound, and it was about the serum run. And the interesting story to that is, is we had on the writer director, he was the man with all the hats. Uh, he was on our <laughs> podcast many years ago, right when it dropped. And he didn't get to see it come to full fruition. He passed away pretty much right after the documentary was released. And I remember getting an email from somebody in his family that says, hey, he passed away. Can you please share uh, the documentary that was on YouTube? And I believe it was even set as private at that point. So, you know, if, if you're on YouTube and you have a private video, the only way you can watch it is if you have the link. Otherwise, you have to, you know, jump through a whole bunch of hoops. But that documentary uh, is is a uh, a really good one about the serum run, and I think that uh, that is one that should be shared. I'm going to check after we get off to find out if it's still private. It's been several years, and if it isn't, we're we're going to embed that on the show notes. So definitely check that one out as well. So let's jump over to tonight's question, and it's sort of based on an article that came out. I believe it was yesterday or the day before by the folks over at Alaska Public Media, the folks that do Iditapod and and much other good coverage. They asked mushers on the trail what they're listening to. And 
I know that uh, I know that there were three or four people interviewed. One of them was Ramey Smith, and he said what we said on his uh, day that we talked about him on the bio, where he says he doesn't listen to anything. He wants to pay attention to the dogs. He never has listened to anything. Uh, another musher, I believe, Eric Kelly said that uh, he listens to a lot of Grateful Dead out on the trail. Jason Mackey says he listens to a little bit of everything, including Kid Rock all the way to country. A lot of people listen to audiobooks and podcasts. That's a big way to pass the time these days. So people are definitely listening to music out on the trail. And if you longtime fans know, uh, Brent Sass got in trouble several years ago for having an iPod on the trail. And this was really before you could do anything back and forth. I mean, it was pretty much just for music back then. And he got, it wasn't disqualified, but he got a heck of a fine, if I remember right. So oh, no, remember- it, was, it was a disqualification because it was one of the first iPods that could oh, connect okay. to the Wi-Fi. And it was a big deal in the mushers meeting that they said absolutely no Wi-Fi connected devices. And Brent, not even realizing it, got caught with one and and so like Danny Seavey said at the time he wrote he's like every musher dumped their iPod into a trash bin (laughs) so if you're there at Manly Hot Springs or wherever it was he's like you could make bank yeah I'll bet you there's more just hidden away (laughs) and people are probably still using them today I think if I remember correctly that was an iPod iPod touch. It wasn't even an iPhone yet. So it it could connect to Facebook and stuff like that, but you definitely could not, uh, you know, call, call your mother per se on that iPod touch. So I guess I'm the only one that can truly answer the question, but the question is tonight, uh, answer it from a musher's perspective anyway, but the answer, the question is tonight, what do you listen to when you're on long road trips? And, you know, if you're a Iditarod musher or a dog musher in general, what are you listening to there? But what kind of music? Are you listening to podcasts, audiobooks, what? And I'm going to give my mushing answer in just a second. And I don't know who we went to last night first, but Tony, what are you listening to on long road trips? You're going to make fun of me, but uh, I listen to Disney soundtracks, sometimes movie soundtracks. Uh, I listen to a lot of Disney park music. Uh, that's just something I do. And man, I end up with a lead foot depending on what song is playing. So they work. <laughs> and, <laughs> and you probably I know. I'm sorry. A lead foot with a Disney I soundtrack? told you you were going to laugh. It's a good laugh. It is a good because laugh. I'm trying to figure out which Disney soundtrack would elicit the lead foot. What is what is it? I mean, that's what I'm trying Phantasmic. to figure out. Phantasmic. What is it? It's that? from the show Phantasmic at Disneyland. Yes, that one. I agree. That one would definitely mm-hmm. elicit the lead foot because it only takes it. it it's a, just a touch for me, and I'm a lead foot. I don't even necessarily need the right kind of music <laughs> so so you are you are a fan of of disney music and soundtracks there's a lot of good movie soundtracks out there one of the best ones ever is from the lost boys from the 80s that's a kind of a horror vampire uh movie but man they got a heck of a soundtrack on there any 1980s uh movie has a really good soundtrack for sure so uh, so the 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 answer from tony is soundtracks and Disney music, 
Michelle, what do you listen she to? She said Disney Park music, too. Uh, yeah. What do you listen to on your yeah. long road trips? I know we've done a lot of miles over the years. Well, so let's just hearken back to our 2,000-mile trip that we did this summer in our RAV4. Uh, we listened to a heck of a lot of rock and roll and then you threw me for a loop and you forced me to listen to this pop culture podcast <laughs> that was, my God, it was worse than VH1 pop-up videos. It and was, it, it was just not my style of a podcast. And, and one thing that we also listened to on that show, I'm not a huge audiobook fan, but we listened to Dave Grohl's um autobiography or oh, whatever. I forced you to. Yeah, that was a good I, one. I forced you to listen to that because I had already listened to it. And I listened to it again with you because I forced you to listen to <laughs> it. That was a good one. And, and I'm not an audiobook fan. But from a musher's perspective, I listen to music just about every time I'll go out on a long run. And one of my favorites is Rob Zombie. That is definitely the lead foot mushing music. Uh, there is a song that uh, <laughs> I guess you could call my walk-up song. It's called Demon Speeding by Rob Zombie. That's that's the one that I always listen to in the shoot if I'm hitting out on a race. Uh, I have a pretty good playlist. No wonder you ignore your handlers. Yep, I have a pretty good playlist <laughs> of, of rock music uh, on, on my um, iPhone or, or whatever I have. It's almost all rock and roll music, but I'm much like uh, Jason Mackey. On my iPod itself, I have 6,000 or some odd songs, and there's a little bit of everything there. And often, I will just hit shuffle, and whatever comes up, whether it's country, kid rock, classical, or whatever, that's what I'm listening to. Uh, in the car, though, I'm typically listening to a, a mixture of, of Sirius Satellite, where you know I have 30 or 40 uh, channels on favorites or podcasts. Of course, I'm a podcaster, so I listen to other podcasts. But otherwise, uh, I, I I listen to music most of the time on the trail. Michelle, you had something else? I have to tell a secret. So during fall training, you'll let me take out the team by myself <laughs> on the ATV, and I sing to them. Oh, yeah. But what I sing to them, I sing Fuel by Metallica. There you to go. To get them up and going and to fuel them, if you will. So maybe even your own dogs like rock. Hey, hey, there, we have a whole crew named after after uh, a rock star. So it could be. <laughs> so the question, guys, is what music do you listen to on long road trips? Is it uh, rock and roll? Is it country, classical, rap, hip hop? Or are you a podcast or audiobook fan? Or do you like show tunes like Tony does? Or do you listen to nothing at all? Are you one of those folks that just drives down the road humming along to your own soundtrack in your head? I would love to hear what you have to say. Remember, Tony will post it after uh, we air the episode. And uh, definitely let us know what you think. I know we're getting close to the end and a lot of our listeners will probably drop <laughs> off, but uh, we, we want to get these answers in so we can sort of find out where, where you guys are coming from. So otherwise, uh, Michelle, uh, anything that we missed or um, things you want to mention before we go? 
No, I, I'm excited. Uh, the race is going to wind down a little bit for a few more hours and then it's going to get right back up and be hot. Yep. Uh, weather wise. No action wise. Oh, action wise. <laughs> okay. All right. I like it. I like it. Tony, what, what do you, did we miss anything or do you have anything else to say? Uh, well, just a couple things, because I was doing math while you were talking about your, your music selections, and it looks like uh, Pete Kaiser actually only has just over four hours uh, behind Ryan. He made up some time after his long rest, and uh, Richie will be just a few minutes out after Pete. And then I forgot to mention one movie that was an answer that wasn't one that they were actually saying was their favorite but that they found another Willem Dafoe sled dog movie what? other than Togo. It's called Siberia. Um, and I, I've tagged you guys in it because it just the little bit that I'm reading from Alice, it sounds like it's more up your alley. Um, oh. Robert, so. Hey, because we're so much older than Tony. Hey, I'll have to watch that one. And that that's probably the same Alice that's asking. Psychological horror. I like it. Oh, you know, we might have seen it. I, I like it. So that's probably the same Alice that was asking about the tracker question. So if it is, Alice, thank you very much for listening and keep the questions and comments coming. That's what we do the show for so we can get engagement from our listeners. So I guess it's my turn to sort of pay the bills. If you have not done so, make sure you hit that subscribe button wherever you're listening to these podcasts. Tell your family and friends how to listen and remember to tell them that we host this show all year long. So that's why you should subscribe to our show because once I did a rot ends, we just post these shows at random. It might be on a Tuesday. It might be on a Thursday. It could be on a Sunday. You just never know. So if you're not subscribed, you will miss those episodes. As a matter of fact, I've gotten four or five comments in the last few days that says, Hey, I thought you guys did a daily podcast. I don't seem to find it anymore. And they happen to be subscribed to our old feed, Dogworks Radio. So I still do a daily podcast. So we, we still point <laughs> them over. So definitely subscribe. If you're so inclined, uh, head on over to patreon.com slash firstpalmedia. We've gotten several folks that are interested in helping us out there, including a couple of... Uh, Super fans, so we're going to make some Idita cookies for after the race. Otherwise, there's a whole bunch of different levels that will get you individual perks as small as a dollar a month, all the way up to our super fan level, which you can definitely check out over there. And one last reminder. Yep. Robert is going to be getting some epic interviews from the mushers in the race that he has in the queue. You need to be a subscriber to get those interviews. For sure. Like we said, Jason Mackey is in the pipe. Uh, the um, Robinson dad is in the pipe. Uh, uh, several uh, vets and other ancillary people, not necessarily mushers, but uh, folks that can really tell behind the scenes stories are down the pipe as well. So definitely some good stuff coming in the off season as well. So otherwise, we will be here tomorrow night, and I am sure we will be talking about somebody that crossed under or over, or whichever it is, 
the burled arch there in Nome. The cameras are already pointed there. The road has been closed. The snow has been moved in. I am sure that the bars are open, the beer is flowing, and people <laughs> are ready to celebrate uh, in Nome after a couple of years of, uh, of smaller crowds because of COVID and everything else. And unfortunately, even some fires that burned down uh, one of the few hotels there in town, motels, if mm-hmm. it will, as well as a couple of uh, uh, bars and restaurants that are no longer with us there in Nome. So Nome has changed quite a bit over the last couple of years. So we will be talking about Nome tomorrow for sure. So on behalf of my co-hosts, uh, Michelle and Tony, we will see you guys next time. From Dog Works Radio, this is Mushing Radio. We hope you enjoyed this episode, and we invite you to subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll find a link on the episode notes. You can tap or swipe on the episode cover art, and you'll see some offers from our sponsors. You can support our show by supporting them. If you like what you have heard, we would love it if you could give us a five-star rating and tell your friends how to subscribe, too. Your host is Robert Forto. Our producers are Michelle Forto, Alex Stein, and Tony Ryder. Our executive producer is Robert Forto. Created for DogWorks Radio and First Paw Media.